The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I know, I know, I promised that on yesterday's podcast we do Team 4 from the Central Division on this Friday show and roll you on into the weekend, but clearly that was idiotic because draft day was also trade day in the NBA and a couple of big ones went down. And so today on Fantasy NBA Today, yeah, that wasn't the greatest choice of words, but we're in it now. We'll be breaking down the big trades from draft night Thursday. The biggest, at least from a reality standpoint, Russell Westbrook is on his way to the purple and gold. Yep, he's a Laker. It was quite a uh, series of minutes that led up to that trade, and we knew that he was on the Lakers' board as someone they were looking at, but it just never seemed like the fit made sense, the pieces made sense, but they got it done. So before we dive into that stuff, first I want to welcome you welcome you guys to the show. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you'd like to give me a follow on Twitter, I hope that you will. I also hope a lot of you guys got a chance to check out our live draft coverage yesterday. It was great. It was awesome. I got to say, I don't know anything about any of these guys, but I watched almost the entire thing with a brief respite for dinner here on the West Coast. These guys knew their... Like, I shouldn't be impressed with our own internal guys, but I was impressed. They were awesome. You killed it. You killed it. Mm, Well done. Well done, man. So, uh, draft night was cool, and I know there are all these young guys that are going to different teams, and everybody's freaking out about different stuff, but I'm actually, as I've said many times, of the opinion that most of the guys going on draft night will be uh, fantasy busts. Despite the fact that some of them are moving into better opportunities than others, there's just, there's so much youth, and I I think I did the breakdown on yesterday's show, so I don't want to do it again, but it's like, look, like three rookies will probably hold fantasy value of some kind, and generally one of those three is underdrafted. The other two are usually a little bit overdrafted and even though they aren't total busts they'll actually be worthwhile to your fantasy team there were better p- players on the board from a value standpoint yesterday's trades and there were uh there were a handful did we we didn't talk a ton about the grizzlies pelicans trade did we god i think i skipped right over that because it happened when was that? Was that over the weekend or something? So, look, we're going to go all the way back and we'll go through all the trades, but the the big one, of course, is Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I talked about the the Grizzlies-Pels trade, so we'll, we'll go all the way back through, and that'll be the last one we talk about because it's old news at this point. But from a fantasy standpoint, it actually does matter. Russell Westbrook to the Lakers for Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, KCP and uh, pick 22 in yesterday's draft. They had to get it done real quick so that the Wizards could actually tell the Lakers who to to take there. The the Lakers side 
is screwy as hell. And I won't pretend to be a, a contract uh, expert on this front. But one thing that we all know for certain is that Anthony Davis, LeBron James have basically been the only guys in the Lakers with fantasy value as long as they've been around. Anything outside of that has been sort of dust in the wind. It, it comes and goes as like a guy that might emerge for a week or two, but that's generally as far as it extends. Montrez Harrell is gone, which opens up uh, about 23 minutes per game in the front court. KCP is gone, which opens about 28 minutes in the back court, and Kyle Kuzma is gone. That opens up about 29 minutes of sort of hybrid front courty type of stuff uh, from generally some slightly lower efficiency guys in KCP and Kuzma, although uh, Pope has has been a pretty good three-point shooter and a good foul shooter. Uh, some might argue the best foul shooter on the Lakers, actually. And then Montrez Harrell, efficient around the rim, but a guy that gets played off the court in the postseason because defensively he's just not, it doesn't work. If you're going to be a big man, you need to be able to to defend a little bit. And he's not a floor spacer, so he didn't really fit with Anthony Davis. But, of course, the other side of that, from a reality standpoint, is how does Russell Westbrook actually fit with this roster construction? Because now you're talking about a core of LeBron, AD, and Westbrook. It sounds like Schroeder is going elsewhere, which means uh, I, I don't even really know, looking at this Lakers team, who would be the starter? Is it Alex Caruso if they bring him back? He's not a floor spacer. He's a defensive presence for for the most part. I mean, he'll hit a three-pointer every once in a while. Uh, does Andre Drummond come back? Doesn't matter. He shouldn't be playing much anyway. Um, I know AD doesn't want to play the five, but I don't know how he doesn't play the five now with this roster. I mean, they're, they're, there's nobody that can shoot the three ball on this team at a, at a decent clip anymore. KCP was kind of the only one. Lakers will be focused, I mean real focused, on shooting from this point forward. But you know what? You guys don't really care about this from a reality standpoint. You listen to this podcast from a fantasy standpoint. Reality side, it's going to take the Lakers a bunch of time to get used to whatever this weird situation is. But we did see it uh, really in each of the last two seasons. Once Westbrook settles in with a team... He actually did get pretty good. He played a good second half with Houston. He played a good second half with Washington. And I guess the Lakers are counting on that going forward. Uh, and a guy you know, playing for a title now. So there's, there's that sort of extra gear that they're hunting for. Fantasy-wise, this hurts everybody on the Lakers. Westbrook is a usage vacuum who is going to be somehow trying to contend with LeBron James for handling the basketball on a night-to-night basis. It takes away from LeBron. It takes away from Anthony Davis. And it takes away from Westbrook because he's not with Bradley Beal anymore. He's with Braun and James. All of these guys take a fantasy hit, and I would think a relatively sizable one. Um, LeBron James this last year was number 34 on a per-game basis. I don't know that that takes a big hit. He was kind of down this year. There was the injury. His assists were down because Dennis Schroeder had already helped soak up some of the time when he wasn't the primary guy but this is Russ we're talking about not Schroeder I wouldn't take LeBron inside the first two rounds ever in almost any format eight cat you could make a fleeting argument on it nine cat not a chance Westbrook on the other side who I was actually starting to warm up to thanks to his good second half in Washington 
I don't see how you take him inside the top 50. I'm not even sure you take him inside the top 60. I'm not sure you take him at all. He's not going to get 12 rebounds and 12 assists on this team. They're just not built for him to do all of it himself. This is going to be a rough year. And the only guy on the Lakers that might survive this is AD because he played hurt this season. So there will be a little bit of a depression in his outlook, his ADP probably, because he had this mental block at the free throw line that hopefully that goes away. His field goal percent was down. Rebounds, blocks, all that stuff was down this year. And, you know, games played were down because he was dealing with an Achilles thing that probably was impacting him more or less from the outset. He just, he never recovered. This is recovery time for him. I don't know where he goes. I don't adjust him down all that much because he's so unique and he's, you look at it, you're like, look, I mean, like if he's playing the four alongside at Andre Drummond, there isn't a whole lot that Westbrook's going to do that a center next to AD wasn't doing already. So if Anthony Davis moves up to the five, yeah, Westbrook is going to take some of those rebounds away, but not more than Drummond was taking when he was playing alongside him, and even really not more than Marcus Soule. Basically, that's a wash. AD slides up to the five, Westbrook turns him back into a four from a rebounding perspective. But his assists won't change much. Steals, blocks, scoring shouldn't come down all that much. AD's usage was a little bit wonky this season anyway. Uh... Do I think he's inside the top five? I don't. I think Anthony Davis is probably a back end of the first round guy this year because you have to worry about health. You have to worry about what Westbrook does to his field goal attempts per ball game, And you have to worry about the weird free throw percentage mental thing that was going on. That may or may not go away going forward. I would bet that it does, but I don't know. It's a question mark. And then you guys might look at this roster and say, okay, well, what who, what, what, if somebody else slots in around them? Because now they're looking for likely a, a shooting guard and a small forward. Assuming LeBron plays power forward and AD plays center. Yeah, there will probably be a center on this team that grabs a bunch of that time. Markeith Morris, him coming back actually makes a lot of sense for this team from a floor spacing standpoint. He could be the 4-5 and he and AD can kind of flip-flop there depending on who they're banging with on the defensive side. Uh, if Gasol wants to come back, he could soak up some center minutes off the bench, just opportunities for AD to not have to smash against a big guy on the other team on defense. They could flip where they're at on the floor. Gasol could just camp out at the three-point line if they want. Same thing with Marquise Morris on the offensive side, and those guys could take a little punishment on D. Shooting guard, there's no one. There's no one. KCP was the guy at shooting guard this year. He played most of the minutes in that general vicinity. Ben McLemore played a handful. Taylor Horton Tucker played a handful, and he'll likely do that again this coming year. Wesley Matthews played a handful. But there's no lead horse at shooting guard. Lakers have so much money tied up right now. Contractually, I I really don't know how they go get a shooting guard, but I'm sure there's some sort of uh, different like exceptions that they can throw at somebody. Like we've heard them linked to DeMar DeRozan, but from a spacing standpoint, that doesn't make any sense at all. Still, uh, if you put like they they're only getting like six or seven million dollars back more than they're trading away, so that's not the massive imbalance in this. I just again, I have no idea where this 
shooting guard comes from. I think they have the mid-level exception with Montrez being traded away. So that should be like about nine and change million dollars. You could get a decent shooter for that. But is one good shooter enough? I don't know. I don't I don't know how the roster gets built with those three guys at at the core, very rim-centric basketball. Lakers consistently shoot some of the highest field goal percent numbers in the NBA precisely because LeBron, AD, and now Westy, these are guys that are going to be taking the bulk of their shots from a short distance. That's when Westbrook is his most effective, not the three ball. We saw what the Lakers did to him in the playoffs. This is going to be a real freaking jigsaw puzzle, and I don't like the fantasy outlook of any of those guys. I, I there There's a there's a very real chance. There's like a 90% chance that I don't have a single Los Angeles Laker on my fantasy team this coming year. Very real chance. Meanwhile, 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 over on the Washington side, uh, I, I don't know how we can expect Bradley Beal to still be on this team come opening night. Because they just turned... Whatever you think of Russell Westbrook, he still is a star in the NBA. He averaged a triple-double this year, and he did play well for the Wizards down the stretch. He was a big reason why they managed to make that that run into the playoffs this year. It was Westbrook. Beal was decent all year long. I don't want to take anything away from Bradley Beal, but it was Westbrook figuring out his new surroundings and going from being a massive detriment to an actual positive on that team. He's still a star-level player. Outside of those two guys, we just talked about the Wizards a few days ago. They're a dumpster fire of a roster. They have Davis Bertans, who's a proven outside shooter. They have Thomas Bryant, who's hurt as a relatively proven center, but not a great one. And we don't know. Again, I I think we can expect him back probably in the January, February range and not likely at full strength at that point anyway. Beyond that, Rui Hachimura, young power forward. Denny Avdia, very young, small forward. Daniel Gafford, who they traded for, is sort of an interesting center. And then almost nobody else even on the roster for this team. Lopez, his contract is done. Ish Smith, contract done. Isak Bonga, Aul Neto, Alex Len, uh, Garrison Matthews. Like, all of these guys, they're not on the team this coming year. So they just built a new roster, and it's not done yet. So what we're going to do on today's podcast is... We're going to talk about the Wizards as they are currently constructed, but with the note in our mind that there's a very real chance that over the next two to three months, Bradley Beal gets moved for something. But whatever he gets moved for, I don't think he'll have high, as high a usage rate as he had this last year. That's the way that, that makes this kind of easy to handicap. So let's look at the Wizards right now. Right now, Washington added Montrez Harrell, KCP, and Kyle Kuzma to their existing roster and removed Russell Westbrook. We saw plenty of games this year. Not a ton, but enough games this year that Westbrook sat out to know that when he wasn't on the, the list, everybody, the active list, everybody got a pretty substantial bump in what they were asked to do. It it very clearly impacted Bradley Beal the most because his role went from being 
a combined superstar to being the guy that needed to take like 25 shots in those ball games. So if in some magical universe, Beal is still on the Wizards on opening night this coming season, you just need to look back at last season when Beal took 23 shots a game pre-COVID shutdown. There was no second option. The second highest number of shots attempted was Rui Hachimura two years ago. He took uh, 11 and a half. Beal at 23, so he doubled him up. Uh, And Beal averaged 31 points, four boards, and six assists and was a late first-round per-game guy who did miss a bunch of ballgames, which is what you'd expect again if he's the lone wolf on a terrible basketball team. Very good for Roto because he's going to probably beat where he gets drafted. Not as good for head-to-head because he's going to miss probably 15 games. Rui Hachimura was already a wizard, remember, but he was a rookie. took 11.5 shots uh, per game that year with no Russell Westbrook around. This year, Hachimura took 11.5 shots with Westbrook around. So that gives you a pretty clear indicator that if you remove one of the two superstars, a bunch of those shots are going to Hachimura. Who, sadly, was outside the top 180 in 31 and a half minutes a game and 11 and a half shots per game. His percentages are okay, but not good. He literally didn't do anything above fantasy basketball player average this year. He was sub-average in every category besides turnovers. That's a guy who doesn't have particularly interesting per 36s. It would take Rui Hachimura attempting probably about 15 shots per game to get him to fantasy value. Because he doesn't get steals, he doesn't get blocks, he doesn't get assists, he doesn't hit threes, he doesn't shoot the ball great from the free throw line, he's fine from field goal percent standpoint, but he's not a positive there either. His only opportunity to make an impact is Westbrook being gone, him getting an extra four shots per game, and probably an extra two rebounds per game that were being scooped up by the rebound hoarding Russell Westbrook. And that puts Rui somewhere in the neighborhood of about 18 to 19 points per game and seven and a half rebounds with almost nothing else. That's barely inside the top 100, if even clearing that marker. Another guy that would see a pretty good size bump, and I think this is the one that we need to pause on for a while, and maybe the guy to target after this news breaks, was Davis Bertans. Davis this year took eight and a half shots per game in 26 minutes per game. Last season, Davis played 29 minutes per game, which again, like that's that's not that huge of a difference. That's a three-minute bump, and he was hurt for long stretches this year. So you can probably attribute one to two of his three-minute discrepancy to just uh, games where he was on a minutes cap this season. But in those 29 minutes, three extra minutes, but an extra three shots per game. That's the big difference. It was that the minutes and the usage didn't run in conjunction. His minutes went down by three. I repeat again, only by about 10%. So he should have taken one fewer shot this year, one less shot. And instead, he took three less. He was at three down. So remove Westbrook, the usage monster from the equation. Bertans, I would think, easily gets back above 10 shots per ballgame. Easily gets you above three three-pointers per game, which is where he was at this season. And then all of a sudden, his big-time 
free throw contribution becomes at a slightly higher weight class. He'll get you an extra rebound per game because Westbrook isn't scooping up those. It feels like a decade ago, but it was only like a year and four months ago that we were talking about Davis Bertans as a top 60 fantasy player on a per-game basis. And he slides into at least a few of those shots, even though the guys coming back, two of them, could kind of push into his playing time on this team. Honestly, he might get moved this offseason also. But he's the existing player on the Wizards that I think we need to take note of because he was the guy that suffered the most with uh, Russell Westbrook joining the team this last offseason. Or, yeah, right before. So I like Davis Bertans. I don't think he gets drafted before 100. And I think taking him there is a really wise move because there is a chance he biffs it. And if he does, you lose your top 100 pick, which isn't that big of a deal. But there's a chance he goes back to something similar to what we saw last season. And then you get a guy who floats along at top 60, top 70 clip, uh, taken about three rounds later. Denny Avdia was someone I talked about as as maybe stepping into a bigger role. I want to reserve my handicap on him until we see what happens to Bradley Beal. If Beal's still around, Avdia I don't think does enough. So we'll just sort of put a pin uh, in our young fella from Israel and come back to him later. The guys I want to talk about are the dudes coming over from the Lakers and Daniel Gafford, who we were kind of excited about uh, until yesterday. It's not fully clear exactly how each of these guys is going to be deployed. One thing I think we can safely say is that if Beal is still on the Washington roster, they will still need offense, but not... I mean, they'll still need it quite a lot, but they'll need a lot of things. It's uh, An offense would be maybe a slightly below some of the other needs in that particular instance but just comparative analysis isn't enough here what i mean by that is this last season montrez harrell didn't do enough to make fantasy rosters he played in 69 out of the lakers 72 regular season games which is good so by totals he was better than by averages and he's been lately at least a bit more durable than the uh, very early juncture of his career so i I guess you could give him the durability check mark but 23 minutes a game wasn't going to get it done uh, Montrez, if you go back to the previous year with the Clippers, played 28 minutes and just barely broke the top 100, getting 13 shots a game. Do we really believe that Montrez Harrell on this Washington roster can get 13 shots per game? If Bradley Beal is in town, I think the answer is probably no. Most notably because they're going to want to get Gafford minutes. Like, I I think Gafford's the starter despite this trade. Davis Bertans is probably going to play some small ball center as a floor spacing big. And then Montrez fits in there as well as more your traditional backup center. Or do the Wizards roll Montrez out there as a starting center, which doesn't really make a ton of sense for a team that would in that case, kind of be in a bit of a rebuild because they ain't winning anything with Bradley Beal and no other really good players around him. So, uh, no, I'm not drafting Montrez Harrell is kind of the short 
answer to a long question. He's a guy that, in my estimation, with the team as currently constructed in Washington, isn't going to get enough touches to do better than what he did with the Clippers, which that was sort of like a a best-case scenario for him. He had Lou Will and was running a pick-and-roll with Lou Williams for like every second he was on the court. He was involved in a lot of the offensive sets when he was playing. It wouldn't be quite so cut and dry with this Wizards team because we don't know if he's starting. And if he's coming off the bench, we don't know how many minutes he's going to play. Is he going to be a priority? It's a contract year for him, so presumably he's going to be going all out. You might also see him get removed at some point this year. That is, not removed from the equation, but moved again to a different team. Like, I don't think Montrez Harrell is... Uh, a big part of the Wizards' rebuild. He's 27 already. He's not a youth movement guy in the way that, look, I know Thomas Bryant feels like he's been around a while, but he's only 23. Bertans is 28, but the Wizards gave him a a four-year deal with a fifth-year non-guaranteed option. They paid him, which means they'd be kind of, I would think, a bit more inclined to play him. And, to Bertans' credit, he can hit fantasy value faster than Montrez can because he just needs shots. He just needs shots. If he's on the court in this construction, he'll get them. Although, again, I'll note, all of this stuff gets a a double upgrade if Beal is gone. With Westbrook gone, certain guys get just far enough. I would still be more inclined to lean the Gafford direction with Beal in town because his fantasy value isn't quite so tied up in how many shots he gets to take. With Montrez, it's about usage because he's not racking up giant uh, defensive stats. With the Clippers, he was a point six steals, 1.1 blocks in 28 minutes of ballgame. That actually really wasn't all that bad. I just, I don't see 28 minutes in his future. And with the Lakers, you saw Montrez uh, this most recent season in whatever it was, 23 minutes, is that what I said? 0.7 and 0.7. So that number came down uh, a pretty good deal. And... Uh, not not too surprisingly, he's not a terrific rim protector, and I don't, I just, I don't know how his fit really makes sense on this team other than his salary matched. This was a deal that the Wizards largely did to get the Lakers' 22nd pick in yesterday's draft and Kyle Kuzma, who, for all of his warts, hasn't really had a chance to let his wings free. And this will be that opportunity. I don't know exactly how the Wizards are going to construct their rotations because they brought in a guy in Kuz who's like kind of the guy that they want to see how this thing works out. He's technically the young guy. I was only a year under than Montrez Harrell. But Kuz is signed for three years, or he has a player option for that third year. And they can kind of, if they want, they can make him a potential building block. Personally, I don't think he's good enough to be that kind of building block but he's going to be uh, a player that gets usage on a bad team. The question is, is it enough? And what we saw with Kuz is that even when LeBron and Anthony Davis were out, he was still barely a fantasy asset. You want to talk about a guy who needs usage to be fantasy effective. Kuzma is that guy because he doesn't shoot the free throw well. His field goal percent is not that good, meaning he needs to overwhelm his bad percentages with popcorn stats. And the only way those get there is if he's taken like 14, 15, 16 shots a night with Washington. I don't know that they're going to give him that much with Beal still around 
if Beal's gone, you almost have to take a chance on that, particularly in points leagues. That's where it's a bit easier for him. Points leagues, you're not worried about bad percentages. Go out there, take 15 shots, and miss them all for all I care. He takes 15 shots. He's a 17.8 rebound guy uh, with like two assists, two and a half to three three pointers, half a steal, 0.7 blocks, something like that. That's good enough in points leagues. Category leagues, that's not good enough because then you factor in a high volume 44, 45% from the field and 70% at the free throw line, and it drags him down. Amazingly, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the guy who got moved in this trade that may actually have a little bit of upside is KCP. (laughs) I know, it almost feels uh, idiotic to even speak of it as such, but let's turn the clocks back to KCP in his Detroit days and his uh, very early Lakers days, the Lakers when they only had one superstar. In his penultimate season in Detroit, KCP played almost 37 minutes a game and averaged 14 points, four boards, two assists, 1.4 steals, and about two three-pointers a game. From a 3 and D perspective, that's a top 75, top 80 kind of season. I mean, we're going, we're turning the clock way back for this one, so there, it remains to be seen whether or not KCP actually has that gear left, but that season in Detroit, he finished inside the top 90. Um, and he's shooting more three-pointers now than he was then. So presumably, his field goal percent can stay in the low 40s, I hope. I hope he can keep it there on a, a team where the options around him are not drawing quite as much attention as they were in L.A. But you'd also see his shot attempts go up. And I think they'll play him. Because this Wizards team is going to need a veteran presence on the floor. And with Beal basically shifting down to play point guard now, he's sort of a point shooting guard type, KCP could slide in at shooting guard. Denny Avdia could slide in at small forward if they wanted to. Rui at power forward. Gafford at center. And you bring Kuz off the bench to take a bunch of shots. Or... You bring Avdia off the bench and let Kuzma and Hachimura play a weird, like, flex 3-4 situation. Or you start Montrez Harrell and bring Davis Bertans off the bench. But to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think if you got, if you got Beal out there, you probably want guys that give him the most room to operate. Which isn't saying much for the roster construction here, but it does give KCP uh, a, a, an avenue to... Uh, that top 90 threshold where he was before. His, everything came down for him when he was playing alongside LeBron and AD. He just, like, there was a lot of stuff that didn't need to be done anymore. He was just, keep guys in front of him on the defense, don't gamble as much, you know, position D, make three-pointers. He was averaging close to two three-pointers a game on only seven and a half shots in LA this last year. Pre-Anthony, like, I'm not, I'm not pulling weird numbers out of a hat here. Pre-Anthony Davis... KCP in Los Angeles took 11 shots a game and hit 2.1 three-pointers over that stretch. He was at, Remember, he was at 13.5 points, 5 rebounds, and 1.4 steals his first season in L.A. That was LeBron and the goofballs, or whatever, the, whatever, whatever you want to call that team. That was uh, 17-18 Los Angeles Lakers. It was after superstars started to arrive and other guys sort of took the ball away from him that KCP... Uh, by the way, 
sorry, 17-18 was actually pre-LeBron in L.A. And in 11 shots a game, he wasn't even a good foul shooter then. He was top 65 that year. Isn't that wild? Isn't that nuts? Like, it almost seems like a different universe where KCP was a top 70 fantasy player. But put him on this Wizards team now with Beal. That'll take some away from that. That caps the upside a little bit. But if you think Beal's getting moved, KCP could actually get back into that range again. I'll admit, from an overall standpoint, it's really damn hard to handicap the Wizards when we don't know what's going to happen with Bradley Beal. And as they are currently constructed meaning Beal is on the roster. Beal is a massive fantasy winner from today's trade. Colossal. I still think Gafford has a decent year ahead of him, although Montrez Harrell and Thomas Bryant then getting healthy at some point sure sniffs of Bryant getting the job back and Gafford being marginalized, so that really does make him a Roto-only late-round kind of guy that you expect, look, we'll get some good stuff at him, good-ish, for like the first two to three months, and then you probably end up kicking him to the curb. And I do think Davis Bertans, with one of the two superstars gone, moves back into a role that is uh, at least inside the top 100. Like, getting back into that 60 range is probably going to require Beal getting moved because they did bring, you know, Montrez... He's not going to get 13, 14 shots, but he'll get his 9, 10 shots. And KCP will take his 10 shots. And Kuz is going to try to take a crap ton of shots. Like, those three guys are going to try to take all the shots that Westbrook had before. They may not get all the way there, but they're going to try damn hard to do so. So that's a lot. Like, they picked up a lot of guys in this mess. And unless, and that's why the guys that are tied to usage like that, the Montrez, the... Uh, the Coos, even Bertans, who I do like a little bit, Rui Hachimura, these guys that need usage to get there, the fact that Beal's still on the team does make it kind of a hard sell. The reason I like Bertans out of that list is that his stuff is tied to three-pointers for the most part. And with Westbrook gone and the ability to get another rebound or two and just being more free in what they're doing in their offense, and frankly, just having seen what he did when there wasn't a Westbrook on this team the previous year, do I think he gets all the way to 60 with Beal on the roster? No. But is he going to be back in that 170-180 range? Hard no also. He's someone that I think creeps inside the top 100 as the roster is currently constructed or maybe just outside of it with that big opportunity for upside. And then... If again, if you there's this if you think kind of thing, if Beal gets moved before your fantasy draft, then it's no longer an if, and you can make your adjustments before you actually have to make your selections. But if if you think Beal's gonna get moved like a month into the season or something like that, Bertans gets huge. Uh, I mean, he he dominates in that instance. Uh, a guy like Montrez Harrell, KCP, those guys probably move well over the cut line as well. I don't know that there's enough usage for Kuzma to get over the cut line. But again, if both superstars are gone, you take a flyer on almost everyone on that team. And that was the big trade from yesterday, but there were some other ones that I think need to be mentioned or we're not doing our job. And one of those was the uh, Hornets-Pistons swap, which got Charlotte the number 37 pick and Mason Plumlee, and the Pistons got basically salary cap relief. So they salary-dumped Mason Plumlee in the second year of his three-year deal, 
And I love this trade. I love it with every fiber of my being. Because both centers that I had had my eye on, and we talked about when we covered the Pistons earlier this week, both centers got a bump from this trade. Isaiah Stewart rocket boosts into the starting center job for the Detroit Pistons, and he is a massive sleeper for this coming year. And you guys know I hate that word, but that's where he's at. He's going to have a huge role, and we already saw the kind of player he can be at the tail end of the season. Remember when he was when Plumlee was getting rested? It was like the last 10, 15 games of the year or so. We can look at 15 if that's easier for uh, doing the reminder here. Last 15 games, he played 27 minutes, and he was a top 55 fantasy player, and he could get better. He could get better. He could play 29, 30 minutes the way that team's built right now. There's just no one else to play center on the Pistons. There's nobody else there. So it's all Stewart all the time. He has top 50 or higher upside, and I cannot imagine he's going to get drafted early enough to tap into that, but you never know. Buzz can really take guys off in a, in a crazy, meaningful way. On the other side, Mason Plumley going to Charlotte is a wonderful fit for him. Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo, remember, were playing most of the center minutes this year for the Hornets, except when P.J. Washington slid up and played some small ball center. And he'll continue to do that. But the Hornets no longer need the other centers that they've been just trying to mix and match just to, okay, let's see if we can get like 24 minutes out of Zeller and 18 minutes out of Biz or whatever. Both those guys are off the roster. So it's now Mason Plumley. And small ball five P.J. Washington. That's an easy 28 minutes of center for Plumlee. He's likely the starting center on that team. And even if P.J. starts at center, I don't think the bulk of his minutes are played at center. Miles Bridges is going to be the three and the four. Gordon Hayward is going to be mostly the three. He'll get a little two and four mixed in there. Terry Rozier has been generally the two. But here's the thing. And LaMelo Ball is obviously going to be the one. Devontae Graham is the backup guard on that team. They've got a bunch of backups floating around. But there's plenty of front court minutes for uh, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, and now Mason Plumlee to each get enough. That's 96 minutes basically just to split between those three guys. That's, that's really where they're at at this point. And there'll be a smattering to, like, Jalen McDaniels. But he's pretty far down the depth chart now when everybody's healthy on that team. And that, of course, assumes that everybody stays healthy, which generally doesn't happen in an NBA season anymore. But, I mean, this is like, this is gold, Jerry. Cody Zeller was playing 20 minutes a game down the stretch for them. Biz was playing, like, 18, 19 minutes down the stretch. So we're talking about... P.J. Washington only logging like 10 small ball center minutes. Maybe that goes bigger. Maybe that goes to 20. But that still leaves plenty for Plumlee at center. So I adore this trade. Mason Plumlee is going to get a whole bunch of opportunities on that team because they run. And LaMelo Ball can run a fast break and Mason Plumlee can fill the lane on a fast break. And he's a good passer. And they don't have many great rebounders on that team. This is a marvelous trade if you were eyeballing those two centers. I would take Plumlee just inside the top 100. I think that's probably where he goes. And Isaiah Stewart, frankly, I take him as early as like 65, but I'm praying he goes later than that. I adore this trade. This is one of my favorite trades from a fantasy standpoint in a really long time. 
Other smaller trades uh, that happened on trade deadline day. Aaron Holiday got traded to the Wizards, so he'll get some run at point guard. I don't think it's going to be enough uh, to get him into fantasy value. We saw he struggled in that role. Now, again, if Beal gets moved and Holiday is sort of like the lone guard left on that team, that changes quite a bit. So keep one eye on Holiday. Wizards still appear to be in wheel and deal mode. And I, I like Aaron Holiday, actually. I think this is an opportunity for him to flourish a little bit. He'll get more in Washington than he got in Indiana, but it won't be enough until they move Bradley Beal. And he might even be the starting point guard on that team. So, that, I mean, this is this is saying something. But, like, you can look at the games that he started for Indiana this year. They, they still were not particularly impressive. His fantasy game isn't there yet. Bad, bad field goal percent, didn't pass all that much. Uh... There's, there's a little bit of a ways to go with him. But he is definitely a watch guy in the event that Beal gets moved because he's going to need to be sort of taking the reins if we want him to see the point guard value. That's where he would be able to build in his value in fantasy. So that's an interesting one kind of on the side. It didn't get the big headlines, but uh, he does end up in Washington as sort of the air backcourt apparent. And probably, look, I'll say this. He's probably worth a grab in like the 135 range of your fantasy draft, like a, a 11th or 12th rounder, something in that neighborhood. Because there aren't going to be that many guys that could slide into a high usage point guard spot. I just, right now, I think the Wizards probably go big. But again, we don't know who's going to be there. KCP might, might not be there. <laughs> like the, these guys that are not, young players there there isn't a massive reason for the wizards to hang on to those guys and then from a couple days ago and i don't want to spend too much time on this because it's sort of old news but the stephen adams eric bledsoe and Jonas valanciunas swap that went down between the pels and the grizzlies i hate this trade about as much as i loved the uh plumley trade for creating center value i hate this trade because jv who's one of my favorite fantasy players on earth goes to a place where he's not going to get 12 shots in 28 minutes a game it's just not going to happen. Uh, the Pels go small ball often enough, Zion at center often enough, that it's just not in the cards. Now, even if JV somehow managed to stay on the floor for 28 minutes, he's not going to get the same usage he got in Memphis. The rebounding around him in New Orleans is better. Josh Hart rebounds well, but although he may not, might not be there. Zion rebounds relatively well. Brandon Ingram rebounds, eh, okay. Whereas in Memphis, they're like no one else on that whole team rebounds at all. Jaron Jackson Jr. is the closest thing to a re- like Kyle Anderson. None of these guys. Brandon Clark, all these dudes are hanging around in the fives. And JV had twelve and a half this year. That ain't happening in New Orleans. Zion had seven. That probably, I mean, I would think that probably goes up this coming year. And if Josh Hart doesn't re-sign, then those go somewhere else. This is gonna hurt JV. There's no way around it. Deciding how much is the question mark for fantasy drafts. I think I'd probably still look at him in the 60 range, but there's just no chance he gets into that top 30 area where he was this year. It's not happening. The only way you think it might occur is if you trust the pace and horrible defense that New Orleans plays, which means a lot of guys are going to be coming straight at JV's chest and he'll sort of bungle his way into like 1.1, 1.2 blocks instead of 0.9. But otherwise, 12 shots a game, nah. Not happening on that team. You know, with Memphis, you had Morant and Dylan Brooks taking 15 apiece. JV was very clearly the third man in the pecking order. Zion, 
B.I., those are the two main horses in New Orleans, and those two guys combined for 35 shots. That's a pretty big difference than the 30 that uh, Dylan Brooks and John Morant combined for. That's another five that are off the board, and even if one of those comes from JV, you just it, it brings him down a rung each and every time. I still like JV, but this hurts him. The way he ends up still on my fantasy teams is that if, if people may be overreacting to this trade and saying, oh, no, he's going like, to be the end of the top 100, I still think he plays 25, 26 minutes a ball game. Defensively, he's not as good as Steven Adams, so they'll probably, they probably won't run JV quite as much as Adams was out there for 27.7 minutes per ball game. But even if you dial JV back to like 26, you're still talking about a top 60 type of fantasy player. He still can get into that 60, 65, 70 range just because of the way he piles up stats. They're very easy and efficient for him to come across. Meanwhile, Eric Bledsoe sounds like he's not expected to stay in Memphis, so uh, we'll put a big fat who cares on his name for now. And then Steven Adams, it seemed like the his opportunity in New Orleans was ripe to go get the rebounds that Russell Westbrook wasn't letting him get. Memphis maybe is that spot. I think the Grizzlies will go small ball center, though. I don't think Steven plays his 28 minutes with the Grizz. You'll see JJJ log more center minutes. Xavier Tillman will log center minutes. Brandon Clark will log center minutes. There's just better competition there. Uh, so he was number 192 this year and is not a fantasy factor. So the, the problem with that trade is that it didn't bring any, it didn't elevate Adams enough in his move to Memphis. All it really did was it took two guys in Adams and Bledsoe who weren't fantasy relevant last year and they're still not and it took jv who was a third rounder on a per game basis and just dropped him back by a few rounds so that's an annoying and kind of stinky trade yeah i called it stinky and i'll and i live with it and now we'll take you into the weekend folks busy busy trade deadline thursday trades that went down that's where we were keeping our eye on things again uh looking at that wizard stuff it's, it's a bit murky right now. Everyone in L.A. takes a, a massive hit on the Wizards' side. I like Davis Bertans to get a little bit of a bump. I still like Gafford at the beginning of the year. Uh, I like Montrez only and Kuz only if Beal is traded. KCP has a, uh, an outside shot at it, a little bit better than his two teammates, I believe, believe it or not. I know that people are going to be looking at Kuzma, but category leagues, I'd look at KCP. And then Aaron Holiday is an interesting sort of uh, late flyer should he walk into 30 minutes at point guard. If the Wizards indeed say, look, you want, we want you to be our point guard of the future. Go learn how to play the position. Don't worry, Bradley Beal won't be here the whole year. So there's your late round flyer. Have a great weekend, everybody. Free agency begins next week. Oh, my God. The madness continues. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you guys Monday. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.